As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us again. Well, it's really good to be back. I'm looking forward to this. Now, we've talked a little bit in general about the Space Trilogy, but would you mind giving us a little bit of a plot summary for Out of the Silent Planet? And just a reminder that there may be a couple of spoilers. So actually, it's probably a really good thing to go and read the books yourself. Well, it's all about um, Ransom, Elwyn Ransom, who is described as a philologist who is almost like abducted by aliens. Um, and he is taken on board a spacecraft to head off to this planet called Malacandra. Uh, and he's been taken prison by um, two people, Divine and Weston. And obviously, he's become very important people. And the narrative really is about arriving on um, this planet and trying to figure out what's going on here. For example, how does gravity work here? What kind of life is there on this planet? And trying to figure out um, what, why is there and what they're doing. And one of the key points to bring out here, I think, is very simply that he begins to realize as he explores things that, um, that there's a, a rather sinister agenda going on here, which is that the guys who've abducted him have rather, rather, um, exotic um, plans in mind. And it's helpful to bear in mind that what uh, Lewis is doing here is picking up on H.G. Wells' um, very famous science fiction work, and The War of the Worlds, where the Martians, in fact, have to colonize Earth because things are, have, have worked out very badly on Mars. And what, what Lewis is suggesting in this novel is actually that um, it's now happening the other way around, that in effect... Um, the problems come from Earth and they're trying to colonize Mars because things are going really badly wrong back home. So I don't want to spoil the narrative, but it's all about, um, if you like, a growing awareness of what is really going on. And uh, I feel like I'm pulling aside of a curtain so you can see what is happening. 
So it's a fascinating book, and I don't want to give away too much because I want you to read this. <laughs> now, one of the things I was really struck by, Alistair, is that the foreword for the book is written by J.R.R. Tolkien. I mean, we know they were obviously very good friends, but would you say a little bit about that? Well, Tolkien and Lewis um, collaborated on writing books, and I think the collaboration really very often just took the form of mutual encouragement. Let, let, let's do this sort of thing, and let's encourage each other while we do it. But they were both interested in science fiction. Um, and, of course, uh, Tolkien was a very well-known philologist, and it's quite possible that um, Lewis, in effect, has written Tolkien into this narrative in some shape or form. And and there are hints of the relationship with Tolkien at various points um, throughout this narrative. And uh, I think it's a, it's a tribute, if you like, to Tolkien encouraging Lewis to try out a new kind of narrative form. I mean, he says in the um, in the foreword that he read it, that Lewis read it to the Inklings. And, um, and Tolkien says, it proved an exciting serial and was highly approved. I, at any rate, should have bought this story at almost any price if I had found it in print. That is praise indeed, isn't it, from Tolkien? Well, it certainly is. And, and again, I think you're all reading the book, I can see why he found it to be so exciting. Um, and... Um, it also, I think, references various ideas that Tolkien would later develop into the Lord of the Rings, like Numenor and things like that. So clearly, um, this, this this novel has emerged from a very rich conversation amongst fellow Inklings. We've already seen in the previous episodes uh, that Lewis incorporates elements of mythology, folklore, medieval cosmology into the trilogy. I mean, how do these influences shape the narrative specifically in Out of the Silent Planet? And I guess significantly, what purpose do they serve in conveying some of Lewis's worldview and, and philosophical ideas here? Well, I think what we see here is, is Lewis drawing on um, ideas, resources, people that he knew, and in effect bringing them into this narrative. And my impression on reading Idle the Silent Planet is that Lewis kind of way uses these mainly as kind of ornaments, by which I mean they give added interest to the narrative. I think that the, the underlying plot line it, it, it can be understood without reference to these, but Lewis is really making it much more interesting for his readers. And so if you like, Lewis is trying to hold our attention as he tells a story and gets us involved in that narrative. I mean, he critiques certain aspects of modern society and its worldview through this book. What are some of those specific criticisms and how does he propose, I guess, an alternative understanding of humanity's purpose and, and their place within the universe? Yes, it's really interesting because Lewis brings up a whole lot of things. One of them, of course, is um, this, 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 this distinction we draw on Earth between mythology and things that are real. And Lewis makes the point that actually what might may seem to be mythology on Earth might turn out to be real somewhere else. We've got, we've got to be aware of that, that maybe maybe our Earthbound perspective needs to be challenged. But I think that one of the things that um, Lewis is doing is just raising with us the question about whether human beings are as good as we like to think we are. That's a, a theme that runs throughout the whole trilogy, but it's raised very clearly here in this opening novel. Because what Lewis is doing is taking the assumption that human beings are great, they know what's right, they understand everything. And what Lewis is really trying to bring out is perhaps we aren't as good as we think we are. Perhaps we do certain things which um, are, are strange. 
And the idea of putting human beings in a different environment means that they're confronted with other ways of thinking, other ways of living, and implicitly you're being challenged, are these really what you're doing, the best ways of thinking, the best ways of doing it? It's a very powerful narrative in that way. I mean, if you're a literary scholar, you'll say it's all about defamiliarization. It's about saying, look, there are other ways of doing these. But Lewis, I think, does it very well, actually, in this novel. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Are we to believe that the character of Professor Edward Weston is kind of loosely representative or or does he sort of incorporate any elements of a particular theory or philosopher or do you think he is as um as lewis himself says entirely fictional i mean what are your thoughts on that alistair well i think lewis is bound to say that all his characters are absolutely fictional because he doesn't want to be sued (laughs) Uh, but i think (laughs) that um you can see clearly that that uh, western is bringing together how shall i put it um certain ideas that were being widely discussed by advanced thinkers at the time and were thought to be really clever and intelligent and the way that would go forward. And Lewis is really wanting to raise questions about whether this is so. I think it's helpful to contrast um, Divine and Western. Divine is just greedy. You know, he's human be- a human being who basically is rather self-centered, wants to advance his own status, his own well-being. Um, Western actually has a deep ideological agenda. Now, what Lewis Hang is trying to do is to is to critique both of these people who are greedy and people who have these deep ideological agendas. Now, remember that pe- historians referred to the 1930s as the age of ideology, Nazism and Stalinism. And actually, what what Lewis is really saying here is that maybe Western represents this kind of vision of how Humanity can be refashioned and remolded and redirected by creating a new society, whether it's a Nazi society or a Stalin society. And Lewis is really saying we've got to resist this kind of temptation because it's just completely unrealistic and it does not take account of the deep problems of human nature. So if you like, these are these are the kind of issues Lewis is exploring um, on this in this particular novel. And what are some of the things that Western expounds then in the novel? Well, um, Western basically is really saying, 
and I hope I don't um, do him an injustice here, is that the survival of humanity is absolutely important, um, that what really matters, what is the ethical criterion for what we do, is to ensure the survival of humanity. And if that means wiping out another race to make room for us, let's do it. In other words, what, what Lewis is trying to get us to envision, somebody who is so driven by one single idea, humanity must survive, even if we wipe out other races. Well, then you, then you do it. And Lewis is saying, this is wrong. There's no ethical dimension to this. But how do you bring an ethical dimension into this conversation? And of course, Lewis here is picking up on some very important issues in British colonial history. For example, the idea that you had to inhabit this world and to do so, you had to get rid of other people who were already there. It's, it's just a, a very uh, it's a very obvious idea to colonialists, but Lewis is saying we need to be critical of this. So I think one of the key themes here basically is that um, um, the means justifies the end. To enable humanity to survive, we need to wipe out our competitors and make use of resources which they might have, but we need, and therefore our need trumps their right to have them. So how does Lewis critique some of those those things that Weston is expanding? Because presumably he disagrees with almost everything that Weston is saying. I think Lewis is critiquing this partly through the force of the narrative, which brings out, I think, very clearly that um, Weston's ideas um, that do not end well. I think Frank Bullitt is something as that. And that, I think, is, is quite an important point to make. But I think one of the things that Lewis is trying to do is to get his readers to step into the story and watch what happens almost with incredulity. In other words, how on earth could could he think that? How on earth could that happen? And begin to build up a sense of um, you know of, of disbelief that this could be taken seriously. Lewis is really trying to, if you like, unpack a worldview and by doing so, exposing its fundamental immorality and irrationality. And Lewis will do that actually elsewhere in his writings, but I think he does it particularly well in this particular case. I mean, you mentioned um, divine sort of epitomizing, I guess, human greed, but but is there anything deeper than that? Does his character exemplify a particular ideology or theory at the time? Well, I think, I think we can see a number of possibilities. Um, in my view, the, the best way of understanding him is simply say he's a, a rather naive, rather self-centered person who, who's, who's, who doesn't see the bigger picture, I can put it like that and thus isn't able to see that what, what for him are just natural human instincts very often will be bad news for somebody else. And I think Lewis is trying to portray him as somebody with a limited understanding of reality rather than somebody who actually is evil. And I think um, Weston is brought out really as rather an evil person. Uh, Divine really is rather a, an, an unthinking, an uncritical person who does not appreciate the implications of what he regards as being natural. Thank you for listening to this C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Professor Alistair McGrath talking about one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction, The Space Trilogy. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time.